Hello and welcome to another episode of the Envisioneering Exchange, the podcast where industry leaders discuss the most important topics in building and urban efficiency. I'm your host, John Chef, Dan Foss's Director of Public and Industry Affairs. And before we get started, you can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. Today's topic is electric vehicles, and it's a topic I'm learning more about every day. And I am thrilled to be joined by Ian Stonington, Marketing Manager at Danfoss Editron. Ian, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your experience in the EV industry? Well, thank you, John. It's a real pleasure and honor to be on this podcast. And uh, myself, being in the EV industry was really a personal decision to get involved in an area that I felt could have a major impact on not only pollution and greenhouse gases and all the other things, but as well as the global economy in ways that we can work together as a globe. My main driver at the point of getting involved in the EV industry was a, I learned about a Nobel laureate named Smalley, last name Smalley, that theorized that energy is actually the first and most important problem facing the planet and that if energy uh, could be dealt with in terms of the ways that you know energy is fought over and is not efficient enough upstream, downstream, the whole energy ecosystem then has a ripple effect throughout a lot of the other major problems facing the planet. And so I got involved in the EV business and ended up uh, working for UQM Technologies in Colorado, Longmont, Colorado. And UQM Technologies has recently been acquired by Danfoss, uh, which is a wonderful thing. Uh, and the UQM then became the brand Danfoss Editron or rolled up underneath the Danfoss electrification brand. So UQM Technologies, uh, the joke in the industry of the longest EV startup in the industry, 50 year old company. And uh, the neat thing about UQM is that UQM worked in the initial stages of many development projects, you know, land, air, sea. If it moves, we moved it with a variety of, you know, EV or hybrid technology. And that led to a lot of early advancements for the some of the major players. Um, some examples are the GM Precept, very iconic historic electric vehicle that was done by UQM. Uh, Audi e-tron, still a fleet of about a couple hundred Audis cruising around Europe before they took it in-house. Various government vehicles. It's been a long road for UQM Technologies. And lately, with the wave of consolidation that exists in the marketplace that you see starting in about, I don't know, 2017, 18, UQM was one of the last major um, to be taken, you know, you know, the big, the big fish were eating the little fish and, and, uh, and Dan Foss came along and it's just really a beautiful fit given all of the business units within Dan Foss and the fact that that energy ecosystem that we're talking about, Dan Foss plays a major role in different areas, heating and cooling and off highway hydraulics, electrification in different areas. Um, silicon power. And so the whole ecosystem really comes to bear within the breadth of the Danfoss organization. So it's a very exciting acquisition. 
Yeah, and I know I was personally very, very excited when I found out about the acquisition. And and you're right, I think uh, UQM and now Danfoss Edtron fits so well into what we're doing. And what I focus on a lot is electrification. And we talk about electrification in terms of buildings. We talk about it in heating and cooling. But really, when we talk about urban efficiency, it is all part of the same ecosystem, like you're talking about, whether we're talking about the built environment or how we get from one place to another in the built environment and transportation. So it is really cool for me to be able to expand my portfolio a little bit and talk about electric vehicles. Um, Now, before we get into kind of the market, just go ahead and explain exactly uh, what UQM does or or now Danfoss Editron and uh, the components that we supply to the market, Um, and you know, as brief as we can, but talk about the technology a little bit. So the technology is best thought of as electric drive systems. So when we think of a system, we think of uh, the motor and then the inverter or controller that controls that motor, you know, because you have, uh, you have a different way of looking at the vehicle driveline. So you have regenerative braking and a motor when run backwards is a generator. So it's, uh, that, that's the most simple way of thinking of it is that you pull out the very inefficient internal combustion drivetrain and you're replacing it with a, with far fewer components that are more efficient and in many cases higher performance. It's very cool stuff and the applications that we're really dealing with, you know, I think a lot of attention gets paid to consumer vehicles, but we're really talking about on highway light and heavy medium to heavy duty commercial vehicles, right? That's correct and it's interesting you mentioned it. I'm always chatting with people about, I mean, I, I like passenger car electrification. I think it's fascinating. And, and UQM, now Danfoss Editron, has been involved for many, many years in that market. But in a certain sense, that ship has sailed. You know, I think Tesla is a great example. And now uh, the other major players really putting some good vehicles out there. And so that's moving along. And what we did in starting in about 2012 to 2014 is made a strategic choice to shift to commercial vehicle electrification or commercial electrification in general, because you have the unique traits of the fleet operators having, being able to do the charging in one location, uh, total cost of ownership, things like that. I mean, your fuel costs go down. A great example from one of our main customers, Proterra, who, you know, Proterra is the, the kind of widely uh, agreed upon best in class electric bus. And they did a study that showed, you know, because maintenance costs are such a big deal for fleet operators. And so they showed us that it went from about a dollar a mile for diesel mm-hmm. to six cents a mile a huge improvement in MPGE, uh, the ability to maintain the fleet, to understand the total cost of ownership. And so for commercial vehicles, you not only have a major improvement in environmental considerations in greenhouse gases, cutting pollution, so forth, but you also have an improvement to the bottom line for the fleet operator and the end customer. So commercial vehicles actually make a lot of sense for electrification. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the key difference for me is that, you know, in consumer vehicles, you're asking people, especially right now, to pay a premium to do their part for the environment. But in commercial vehicles, it's really the right thing to do for their bottom line also. It's a business decision first. Yes, that's correct. And the payoff, I think, 
surprises them. It comes more quickly than than they think. You know that you got a big upfront price tag, and there's a lot of consternation about that, and and it actually ends up balancing out pretty quickly, depending on the the drive cycle and the, the exact vehicle. Um, one of the uh, you know we work together. I don't know if you want to chat about the the uh, zero emissions truck coalition. I'd love to. Um, but that that was a you know, really exciting thing that I, I was impressed to see all of the major players get on board with that coalition. And yeah, just for some background, the Zero Emission Trucks Coalition is coming out of uh, an organization called CalStart, which really uh, helped zero emission trucks movement forward in California. And for those of you who don't know, California just signed, uh, passed landmark uh, regulations that are going to put half of all trucks in California at zero emissions by 2035 and all of them by 2045. So a lot happening in California. And CalStart, one of the the main lobbying organizations that helped make that happen, is now taking their message nationally. And Danfoss Edtron is a part of that, as well as uh, many, most of the other big players in zero emission trucks. So Packard, Proterra, Volvo, uh, Daimler, a lot of these other big players are a part of it. And I'm, uh, like I said, I'm just kind of getting my feet wet in there, but Ian's been playing in it for a while now and trying to take that uh, success from California and spread it nationally. Yeah, it's really impressive to see an organization like CalStart that has focused nationally, but mostly on California as sort of the de facto industry leader. And even globally, you know, I go to conferences all over the world and many of the other markets look to some of the, um, the leadership that California has represented. And the thing about commercial vehicles, I mean, when you're when we're traveling around the world, you think about all the all the diesel vehicles uh, on the streets that shouldn't be that are that are essentially legacy, you know, legacy environmental regulations that haven't caught up, and each new market is sort of catching up to you know your Euro five, your Euro six, and what we see is, I gather the statistic is, you know, at least in the United States. 25% of greenhouse gas emissions from the transportation sector. And when you think about the major sources of pollution, it's really the commercial vehicles, the fleet vehicles, and certainly in the ports. I mean, it's drastic in the ports. I mean, the I could talk about the ports all day long. But the moral of the story is we have to focus. So automotive is off and sailing. And then we focus on the areas where globally, and nationally where the pollution is drastic. And yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Like I said, really happy to be part of CalStart now and and kind of getting that message out to people. But, you know, CalStart does focus on, you know, federal and national legislation and lobbying, but there's a lot more that happens at the state, city, and even at the local utility level. Can you speak a little bit about how the industry is involved at those levels of government and the utility? Certainly. One great example is here in Colorado, we have been very involved with uh, the local municipalities, uh, even the universities. So Colorado is an organization called the Colorado Clean Tech Industries Association that has been working closely with the government, with the Department of, of Economic Development. And then even with the city and fleet managers, we work closely with Boulder, Colorado and the company Via Mobility. And what they did was they they took a an old Gillig bus that was ready for uh, the junkyard, 
literally, and repowered it. So even the phrase, you know, often you hear the phrase retrofit or or retro mod or whatever. We like the the phrase repower. And now on the university route, there's a brand new electric bus that was repowered. And looking at that as an opportunity, um, rather than all this subsidy that focuses only on new vehicles. And so now Boulder is going to have several new Proterra buses, but also these uh, Lightning Systems repowered buses. So I think when you look at the local level, it really takes a collaboration between the government, the municipalities, and then also the operators so that they know what their options are, that they're not just listening to um, whatever they're being sold by some of the major players, often international players, that it may or may not be in the best interest of that fleet owner or municipality to go that direction. So it's really a collaboration. And I, you know, it's cliche, but the all ships rise with the tide concept is something that is one of the core drivers for electrification in general. It's all about sharing information. Yeah. And I think too often that we don't share that information and, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. And and you're right, particularly for these decision makers at the local level who are trying to do the right thing and make the right decision, you know, environmentally, economically uh, for their district, it can be really difficult out there. What do you think is needed to get this market going? Is it incentives? Is it more vehicles? I mean, what is really going to jumpstart some of these transactions, particularly at the local level? It's a fascinating question because it's one everyone's asking. And I think that, um, you know, I'm not as close to the end customer. I mean, we, we focus on the manufacturers and then what advocacy we're involved in is, is usually just to get everybody rowing in the same direction. And one of the things I think would be really important is to focus incentives, not just on new vehicles, but also on this concept of repowering, of making do with what we have. If you take that example in Boulder, Via Mobility had a heck of a time because they weren't getting the incentives they needed that would be applied to new vehicles, like a Proterra vehicle, which is three times as expensive. So I think that that we need to look at more creative solutions for the operators like remote charging, you know, where you, you bring in the charging infrastructure route rather than build it. Like, um, you know, taking these assets that are basically going to go to waste and be written off and find a way to repower them for a third the price of a new vehicle. So nationally and locally, we need to look at those options as well. Yeah, and I think that concept of repowering is really cool because when you take out one of these diesel engines and this diesel infrastructure and you put in you know, electric infrastructure, the footprint is much smaller, right? I mean, you can really pack a lot into an existing structure. Certainly. Everyone always wants to geek out on upstream, downstream, total, you know, if from source to use. And so if you're going to look at disposing of a perfectly good vehicle versus getting creative and repowering it and, and using that branding and using that the notoriety. I mean, the one in Boulder is the first one ever done in the city. And so I, I agree. I think we need to use everything at our disposal. 
Okay, well, let's switch gears a little bit and get back to technology. I know in consumer and light commercial, it seems like battery technology has emerged and is getting better and better. And that's kind of where those markets are going. But in medium to heavy duty, fuel cells are right there with batteries, right? Can you talk a little bit about the difference between fuel cells and batteries and why fuel cells may be a good fit for larger vehicles? Yeah, for sure. It's one of my my favorite things to learn about. And by no means do I know as much as the industry experts. But when I started uh, working with fuel cell technology, we actually uh, at UQM a few years ago inherited, I use the phrase inherited, Roush was selling the Eaton fuel cell compressor which was a glorified supercharger and and the market really wasn't there. And so we were doing the motor and the controller that basically the way it works is you you blow air by using this compressor into what's known as a fuel cell stack, which is basically a membrane. And then between the oxygen and the hydrogen reaction, what you get is energy. And so we inherited the hat that product, which is also a Danfoss Editron product that's used in uh, medium to heavy duty commercial vehicles. And then in 2017, China came out with their, whether, what's known as the 13th five-year plan with a, with a lot of subsidy for fuel cell vehicles. And it, it really turned the market for commercial vehicles. And back to what you were saying, the automotive market Definitely, it's been concluded that battery electric vehicles are better for the automotive market. And you have, you know, people like Elon Musk and others who've been adamant that fuel cell technology isn't optimal compared to batteries, which is purely based on a kind of a reductionist perspective that using hydrogen to store energy is simply not as efficient as storing energy in a battery, which is kind of true in a vacuum. Now, enter commercial vehicles. It's really dependent on the application. And I like to think of it rather than an either or solution. I look at fuel cells almost as almost as a range extender with the battery as a buffer between the power electronics and the motor and the fuel cell. And so the fuel cell provides electricity, consumes hydrogen, and then is stored in tanks. And so we have some content in this system And we're also working with some major customers on the port of LA and Long Beach. And this brings us back to the ports. The drayage route is what is known that goes from the port up to the rail stations is in LA is more polluted than all automotive pollution in the next 30 something states combined. And the ports are great for fuel cell technology for a few reasons you're able to charge these vehicles up quickly, almost like a a diesel vehicle. And you get, and it matches the route or the drive cycle. And so this project we're working on with um, Toyota and Kenworth out of Long Beach, it's just going to be revolutionary because if we can change the ports and use that fuel cell electric drive technology for different routes, then the ports cleaning up and then the marine vessels coming into the ports cleaning up and not burning diesel just to keep the lights on and all sorts of other crazy stuff, that will be a huge impact globally. So I see fuel cell technology as being very important for different commercial fleet operators. 
And yeah, and you know, when we talk about the ports, I think there is a lot of opportunity there. I won't go too much into it, but we've done some lobbying in our drives on behalf of our drives group. And uh, technologically, I think it makes a lot of sense. There are a lot of political barriers. I'll just uh, leave it at that. But really interesting stuff on the ports. And, you know, in terms of fuel cells, I do think that you're right. It makes a lot of sense in specific applications, but there are some barriers out there to the technology and to the infrastructure particularly, right? For sure. The most noteworthy barrier is the infrastructure, and which is why I, I believe it didn't stick in automotive. And, you know, that's why we were using Mirai, or I should say the manufacturer Toyota was using the Mirai fuel cells doubled up in that port application, you know, because they're definitely looking for global and important ways to use that best in class fuel cell technology, which, you know, they're definitely the main players in different applications. So it's an infrastructure thing. And with batteries taking off for automotive, there's also that kind of pressure that you get from the automotive market as it trickles over into commercial, starting with light to medium duty. And so it becomes a gray area in infrastructure. For the batteries in some of these larger vehicles, do you see any challenges there holding batteries back from kind of winning that segment? That's interesting because the more I've learned about it, is that batteries, of course, you immediately bump up into range and cost, right? As, as battery costs come down, we all generally believe that, you know, you hit a very real limit. It's not as if battery costs are going to drop indefinitely. You finally will hit real world limits where you just can't continue to drop the cost. And batteries also in terms of range. And the thing with commercial vehicles is they're very you know, weight is money, right? And so, so there is a weight factor. And I see battery electric vehicles uh, really being the most, I would say, environmentally clean and pure option from an upstream downstream energy perspective, maybe not taking into consideration disposal, although there's lots of energy storage, second life, second use um, things to talk about. You can always factor in various, I almost think of a fuel cell, almost like a range extender. So you can factor in different hybrid technologies when you need that extra range or you might need export power or to fully discount hybrid technologies for different uses, I think would be short-sighted. And I think we will see hybridization for a long time before we get to just pure zero emissions technology. And yeah, I think that's a really good point because I think, you know, when you first come to this stuff and you're like, oh, is it going to be hydrogen? Is it going to be batteries? It seems like a binary choice, but I think you're right. It, there's a gray area between and there's going to be application by application. Could be one, could be the other, and it could be a mix between the two. So I think a, a really good point there. I want to touch on kind of the international market and because I know that you and uh, Dan Foss Editron work globally. And there's some really interesting stuff going on in, in some of these other places. I know you've done some work in India. What's happening there? Thanks for asking. It's something I'm very passionate about. I've been traveling to India two or three times a year for the last couple of years. And, you know, as everyone always says, when they go to India, you know, it changes your life and makes you look at things from a completely different perspective. And the thing that I always mention is rather in, from any sort of socioeconomic or population kind of perspective, the thing that I've learned most from India is that they made a very strong effort 
uh, with what's known as the FAME Faster Modification to Electric Vehicle Initiative, where the central government of India did a major, major play. And the interesting thing about India is that energy security is actually their prime driver. They just import far too much oil and they're far too interdependent. And it's a geopolitical concern for them, and as well as you know some other concerns with China. But the best part about it is that then you have over 50% of the population in urban centers and in India in general that travels by bus. And so we've been working with Ashok Leland, which is the fourth largest truck manufacturer in the world and the 10th largest bus manufacturer in the world. And so they're a major player. They're very cutting edge in terms of their market leadership in India. And we we actually worked with a handful of the major manufacturers and really selected them as our partner and vice versa and have been working with them since the initiative was launched in 2017. Now have a fleet of hundreds of electric buses on the road that went from development to actually being on the streets very quickly. And then an order for around a thousand into the thousands soon. And it will really change things for not only the population in India that is then having a much better experience while traveling around to the pollution, to the energy security issues, to all these things that ripple throughout the society. So it's been, unfortunately, C-19 has kind of thrown everything into chaos and particularly India who's, who's being hit very hard. But we're continuing to forge forward with the program and it should get a lot of diesel buses off the road. Yeah, that's awesome. And I just think it's so cool in the U.S., at least when we talk about these things, you know, electric vehicles, I think people automatically think, oh, it's an environmental issue. But globally, it has a lot of different drivers and the environment may be, you know, second, third down on the list to economics or energy independence. And I think that's a really cool way to think about this stuff. And I think that as we move forward in the market in the U.S., we will start to think about electric vehicles, particularly, like you mentioned, in the medium to heavy duty truck space in that context also as more of an economic issue or a way to solve other problems like energy independence. So very cool. Um, well, Ian, before I let you go, I just want to ask you, you know, the market is moving very fast. We've seen a lot of activity in 2020. How do you see it developing in the next five years, in the next 10 years? I know you don't have a crystal ball, but what do you think it's going to look like here in the U.S.? Well, it's interesting because um, it's almost two questions. Unfortunately, I believe that U.S. is a little bit behind in terms of some of the very aggressive progress that's been made in Europe. And a lot of that is due to, I would say, geography in a way. I mean, if you think about the United States is a very suburban culture, very spread out. And so there are some issues in terms of how how will we transform our transportation corridors? Um, we don't have the light rail and some of the other things that are essential for really packing the density into urban centers. And so I think what we're going to see is we'll see a lot of change in commercial vehicles as we're discussing. One of the things that Dan Foss was very prescient, I would say, and just thinking forward and looking at the market is realizing that being the global leader in hydraulics 
that there would be areas where electrification would supplement hydraulics in off-highway applications. All that is happening within Danfoss in that forethought. And I also think that we're going to see more things in the United States that are hopefully that are already happening in Europe. One of the great quotes from my one of my colleagues in the Netherlands that really struck me is he said to me, you know, I've switched all my efforts to upstream infrastructure, energy grid, you know, the whole nine yards in terms of upstream. How are we going to integrate all the infrastructure? And he said, because to do this right in Europe, to account for all the electric vehicles, passenger, commercial, everything, he said, it's going to cost more to do this than it did to rebuild Europe after World War II. And that just, it just hit me, you know, that the things Europe's going through in terms of the 2030 initiatives, last mile delivery, closing city centers. I mean, I was in Paris coincidentally when they closed the city center just as an experiment and the whole, it was just nuts. And so you'll see a transformation, a fundamental transformation that'll start to look at how the delivery system works, how the commercial vehicles work. And so I think I think we're going to see a lot of that even in the United States because it just makes sense. So I come at it from a very practical perspective that we'll eventually have to look at urban delivery, look at last mile, look at long haul, look at the ports and just take pass car out of it until that segment comes around. Yeah. And I think it's a huge economic opportunity to kind of remake the economy in this way and get more efficient and add whole new supply chains. So very exciting stuff. And uh, well, Ian, thank you so much for joining me. That's it for this episode of the Visioneering Exchange. Again, I'd like to thank my guest, Ian Stonington, for joining us. And don't forget to subscribe to Envisioneering Exchange on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever it is you listen to your podcast. And lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to rate, review, and share with your network. It really helps us out. Again, my name is John Sheff. I'm the Director of Public and Industry Affairs at Danfoss. And thanks for listening and talk to you next time. This podcast is for information purposes only. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Envisioneering Exchange podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and not necessarily represent those of Danfoss LLC and its employees. Danfoss LLC is not responsible and does not verify for accuracy any of the information contained in the podcast series available for listening on this site. This podcast series does not constitute professional advice or services. This podcast, including Danfoss LLC and the producers, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects of information contained herein. Opinion of guests are their own, and Danfoss LLC in this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about the guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. You may not edit, modify, or redistribute this podcast. The developers of the Envisioneering Exchange podcast site assume no liability for any activities in connection with this podcast or for use of this podcast in connection with any other web website, computer, or playing device.